welcome to Kristen and Chill's version of Inside the Actors Studio. I'm your host, Kristen Carney, not James Lipton. However, I do have a beard just like his. Tonight, I'll be speaking with actor Michael Raspoli. You know Michael from films such as The Rum Diary, Kick-Ass, The Taking of Pelham 123, Rounders, The Weatherman, and many, many more. You also know him from shows like The Sopranos, and you can currently see him on HBO starring in The Deuce with James Franco. Everyone, I'd like to welcome to the show, Michael Raspoli. Wouldn't it just be lovely if he was actually right here and I just seamlessly started talking to him like a real regular show? Well, that's not going to happen. So you guys uh, get back to reality here real quick. Uh, yeah, this is the kind of show I like to run. Awkward, slow, messy, out of order, strange, not interesting, dry. The good thing about striving for these goals is that they're attainable. So I have succeeded. Anyway, I'm going to tell you real quick about something that happened this weekend. I was eating dinner with my parents and my grandmother, who, uh, that's Grandma Rita. She was the star of last week's post-show rant. And uh, I came out to the dinner table looking a little, uh, little, little crummy. And my grandma, lovely lady, but she was uh, really being... Uh, get a job with Grandma Rita style lady on Sunday. And she said, uh, did you just get back from somewhere? And I said, no, I uh, I just woke up from a nap. She shook her head and she said, I don't know how you're going to get anywhere doing all these naps, which she's absolutely right. I don't know how I'm going to get there either. It's kind of emotional. Sundays are very hard for me. There's a lot of expectations on a Sunday. It's almost like New Year's Eve, except the boring version of New Year's Eve. There's like this societal code that you have to do something nice and relaxing on a Sunday or be outside because it's nice out and it's summertime on a Sunday. And I I kind of buckle under the pressure and I feel this guilt because I really naturally want to be laying down in bed and not doing anything. But I can't do that without feeling somewhat weird about it because of my summer of yes and doing all of these uh, activities. So Sunday, I was really struggling to get through it. And so when my grandma said that about the naps, I said, well, you know, I actually have been a lot better with the naps. Uh, you guys don't really know the extent of how bad my napping actually used to be because I didn't live near you. And uh, I napped all the time. My naps went from probably seven days a week down to maybe one or two days a week, which is really good. So Anyway, I got a little defensive, but, you know, what are families for? That's what you do with family. You get defensive. You're allowed to get defensive. I wouldn't have got defensive if I was at a table with friends because, you know, I need those parents, grandmas. I don't need them. So I got a little defensive and uh, I said, well, I, uh, I've been doing a lot better with my naps and uh, I do have, which I know none of you really like to address or worry about, but I do have intense, intense clinical depression. So I think I'm doing pretty well given the circumstances. And uh, then the dinner was kind of awkward. But then my mom talked to me about it afterward because we never really talk about it. And I know you guys struggle with this all the time, talking to your friends and family about being depressed. And as I've mentioned before, I even struggle with it and I have a podcast on depression. So I get it. But when I was having that talk with my mom, I cried. I haven't cried in a long time. I do think my antidepressants are stopping the the tears, which 
sucks, you know, because sometimes it's nice to cry, you know, it's like the masturbation thing kind of thing. It's like, a, you know, it's like a release. It's a release, you know. So I haven't really cried in a while, but I was able to cry and I felt a lot better afterward. I think I just had a lot of pent up emotion because Wednesday, I taped an episode of Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. He's the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, and he has this really awesome show full of hacks, not like comedy hacks, but life hacks. If there were comedy hacks, I'd feel right at home, uh, but actual hacks to live your life better or to get better at something quicker. It's basically hack your way to a better life. I was kind of confused as to why I was on the show, um, so I actually did not like my quote-unquote performance on the show. Dave was awesome, and I loved talking to him. But the show generally has a positive can-do outlook, and I think I was really negative and, and for the sake of comedy, but I don't think I expressed that really. And I felt bad about it afterward, and it really weighed me down. And there's much bigger things to feel sad about than going on a really cool podcast and getting to talk but I did not like the way I represented myself. And so I suddenly had this almost uh, like dizzying experience where I went, oh my God, I've, I've put out this kind of content like for like a couple years now where I'm just kind of being negative and depressed and I'm embarrassed. And I'm waking up to why people send me messages going, wow, it's so brave of you. Because before I was like, what? It's not brave. Because I basically essentially was, I think, maybe just unaware. I mean, I still am unaware because I'm still taping this podcast. But it didn't really, it's never resonated with me how honest I am or how um, like no filtered I am about my own problems. And I almost just got a glimpse into myself when I was taping the episode with him and thought, oh, geez, if I was listening to this, I'd be like, why am I listening to this girl? What am I going to learn from her? And uh, it really bogged me down and so I think when I cried on Sunday it was all um, a culmination of realizing that um, that I if I'm going to be negative I should be very funny not just negative and I think on the podcast with Dave I don't know if I shined through in that sense of being funny I think I just sounded negative and envious and kind of dumb but hopefully that's just my perception because a lot of people listen to it, and I was having anxiety about it. So anyway, it's not out yet. Uh, if you do listen to it eventually, if you guys tune into Bulletproof Radio, let me know what you think. Was I as uh, kind of morbid as I imagined myself to be? Because I felt like pretty morbid. Anyway, I want to get to the show with Michael. He's awesome. He's like a real-life Uncle Tony. He gives it to you straight. He's got the New York accent, and... Uh, he's a real human and that's what I'm drawn to in people is a real human and he is such a real human. And so uh, you guys will be drawn to him too. Talks a lot about acting stuff and it applies to anything in the world, like any career you're pursuing or any problem you're having or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. You guys get it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show and rating the show. Five stars, five stars only. And uh, sharing the show with a friend. If you don't have any friends, go find them specifically just to share the show. It'll be worth it for me. I don't know about for you.
Well, actually, it will be beneficial for you because then your friend, those friends that you make will love you so much because you introduce them to the show that they'll bring you to very um, great parties. They'll pay for the movies, big events they have. They'll uh, get you in on and stuff like that. So it'll definitely be worth it for you. And with that, enjoy this week's show. So we've been talking for a little bit probably a lot of good podcast content that we skipped. So if I reuse any jokes or anything, not that I was funny as we were talking, but if I repeat anything, you it's just for performance. Actually, we were Thank you. So if I repeat any of those punchlines that I had, uh, you're in showbiz, you know the deal. Sure. I'm just, you know, second take. Right, exactly. Second take. Didn't and get the first one on tape. Third takes and fourth takes, yeah. Are you a two-take guy? I like to do um, less takes. Um, well, you definitely want to do two takes because you have the first one, it kind of, you sort it out and you see how it is. And then the second one, you would definitely need, in television, they got to do at least two takes because they need, you know, they have to have a choice um, in case something went wrong on the first take. But uh, in movies, I've done movies with people who've done 25 takes. Uh. And that to me is a little too much. I, I like anywhere between four and eight. Okay, that's a good number. Yeah. 25. So the person who picks who who's doing 25 takes, are they unprofessional or are they truly thinking that this is part of the craft or three, are they an asshole? Did I say that as number yeah. one? Is that? No. Okay. No, the first, you didn't say asshole <laughs> okay. number one. You said, wait a minute, you said unprofessional. Unprofessional. And the answer to that is no. Okay. So it's okay to do that many takes. Well, listen, it's only okay to do that many takes if you are a star who can get away with that right things, okay you know? right i mean if you're you know um if you're a day player yeah you walk on, on, on set. TV who's series, this guy you go in and i have to do that again you go, what the hell are we talking about we got you're, a date again yeah and you're playing a dead guy just lay there it can't be 25 <laughs> takes for a dead guy <laughs> yeah you're not saying anything just don't lie there but how do you um, how do you deal with the pressure because i've tried the acting stuff occasionally and the fact that there's I like being in front of an audience. I like being in front of people. But knowing that there's a crew of all these people who are maybe hot, maybe tired, annoyed, and you're getting, you know, the attention because you're the star, I get I get really flustered and uncomfortable with it. It's like right now I have to hurry because I want these people to be on lunch soon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, you ever feel that pressure? Sure. You feel that way. And uh, when you say you're the star, you mean you're the person who the camera's trained on yeah. in that moment. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to let's pick a star, Robert De Niro. So he's the star of the film, but in that scene, maybe he only has a little bit to do. Uh, and you have a lot to do. So yeah, you want to get it right. You want to get it right professionally for your own self and you want to get it right for posterity, obviously, once it gets on film. But uh, you also don't want Robert De Niro to say, what the fuck is this guy wasting my right. time for? Right. I would be very nervous about that. Yeah. So that pressure, you put yourself through those um, those mind tricks, you know, those, those head games while you're doing it. So you can be, you can be, that can make you very nervous. Um, I am, I come from the stage, so I'm usually... Uh, very prepared with my lines and things like that and my choices ahead of time uh, enough so so that you can uh, uh, adjust when a director goes wait a minute you're not going to do it like that are you so you know and then you start getting nervous because you're going wow I thought that was my best right right so you know and and then with everybody looking at you watch out yeah um I'll tell you can I tell you a story of course okay so I was doing a TV series uh, my first series and it was up we're shooting it in Toronto it was for Fox Television and there was a day player, and they came on, 
I had done, I think, three movies at that point. And then I got this series. So, um, and I happened to be the lead of the series. But a uh, day player came on. She was a nurse. And she had to come in the room, snap on a rubber glove, and like put it on, mm-hmm. snap it on, and go, okay, ready for your barium enema? <laughs> and that was her line. Mm-hmm. That's the only line she had. Mm-hmm. And um, she came in and she'd say, ready for your bamium remina? And she got it wrong. It's like, oh no, gotta do it again. She could not say that line. Because now... Everybody in that room is looking right. at me. Right. Yeah. So that's exactly what it is when you're saying, like, wow, when everybody's looking at me, you want to make sure they get to lunch and everything else. So I was like, I know where that's li- I know what that's like. Yeah. Take your time. She could not get it. I said, let's take a break. I talked to her out in the hall a little bit. Talk about anything else, you know. And she came in and she got the line right. And it's not a difficult line to say, and you're still going to get the laugh, or at least the joke is going to come through. And... Um, and she ended up doing it, and it was great. But I always remember, like, I felt so bad for her because I'm like, I might be in that <laughs> position. Well, anyways, I jumped to a movie that I did with um, Tupac Shakur. Mm. So it was maybe my, I forget which movie, I don't know, maybe it was two, three movies in or something like that. And and um, I had all my stuff down, all my lines down. I had one big scene. This and, was before he died, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> before he died. And uh, and he had been in the newspaper uh, for something, like on the cover of the Post. He did something wrong. He was accused of something. Him and his buddies were accused of something. Plus, the weekend before, he was in uh, Atlanta, and somehow he got into some altercation with some cops or something. And then you go on to the set, and it was supposed to be three days' work, and they go, we're going to do it in a day. And I'm like, okay, so what scenes? They cut one scene. It was a small scene that I had to do, and then a larger scene. So I had all my stuff down. I'm a professional. I've done all this stuff. And, um, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff at that point. And it was early movie time, but I had done a lot of acting at that point. And so I'm prepared, and I go to the set. And we go into the set, and we shot it in a room that was about this big. You guys can't tell what it is, but about 15 by 15 feet. And uh, it was supposed to be a nightclub, so they push in all the the smoke from the smoke machines and it felt very hot with all the lights and the claustrophobic kind of feeling and it's crowded because people are, you know, Mm -hmm. dancing. And um, I started working with him and on the set, because of those troubles that had happened, you know, uh, uh, there was the bond company man was there and the bond company guy stands like Like jail bonds. Well, no. So when you do when you do a movie, you got to get a. You <laughs> Clearly, gotta, I've never done any like real jobs. Just so when you're doing a movie, the, the bond you have to get a bond from the bond company saying that you will complete the movie. Oh. And they guarantee that you will complete the movie. So if it gets to the point where the bond company's got to be on the set, um, you're in trouble because they're saying the movie's in trouble of getting completed, and therefore all of, then the bond company's got to pay back all the investors ahead of time, and they don't want to do that. Oh. They just. You know, they're there to make sure you get that done. So once he comes on the set, the director loses his balls. Excuse me, but, you know, he loses his ability. Yeah, the producers yeah. have to shut up because uh, the Bond Company guy's going, we got it, that's the take, we're done. You ooh, know, you but, can't do it again. Oh, no. Yeah. So anyways, the Bond, the Bond Company guy was, he had a bald head and a goatee, and he sat there like this. He stood there like this watching the scene. Ooh, crossed arms. With his arms crossed in front of him, and he just looked like this, like, tough, you know, Guy, he looked like a bail bondsman. Yeah, know? and um, and we're doing, uh, and it, it's hot in there, and it's close, and it's tight, and they you know want to get done. And Tupac Shakur was a gentleman. He was great. 
He was he knew his stuff. He was so charming. He was warm, well spoken. But as soon as the take was done, he'd run outside because Flavor Flav was outside and there was all these girls like cheering from across the street. So he would run outside to go see his buddy, you know. And so he was undisciplined in that sense. Right. But once he's on his mark, you know, all of his stuff, it's working, it's working, it's working, you know. He was really, he was really good. Very nice kid. Do you think that comes with uh, experience or natural ability when you're talented? I think he had a great natural ability, and um, and his experience was that he was, you know, he was able to do, you know, with, with his music and and the influence that he had, and and you know, he went through that whole stage, obviously, where the whole thug life thing. I can't speak to. Imagine being a neurotic thug. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Like, ah, I don't know if this gun or that gun. You like, know which who I think does bandana? a You know, I think Key and Peele did a routine uh, with those guys, with them. Uh, they, yeah, they stole it from me just now. <laughs> like, I, we went back in time, they took yeah. it. I think they did something about an erotic thug. But anyways, it's a long story, and I'm just chewing up time here. But the thing is that I started going up. Going up is when you forget your line. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because, um... There was just so much tension in that room, so much tension. It's clo- Everybody's on top of each other because it's supposed to look like a big crowded club, but it's not a big right. place. And the smoke, and they want it was uh, uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so everybody wanted out. Yeah, they wanted out. The crew wanted out. They were tired of this. This was the last, basically, the last week of shooting, and there had already been delays. And the bond companies that you talk about pressure. And I started going up, and I could not get my lines out. And that is a, a personal, um, like to me, that's like, no, man. Because people always ask you when you're acting, if you can, that, you know, how do you remember all those lines, you know? And it's like, uh, you have to know them if you want to act. That's not, remembering the lines isn't the acting part, you know? Knowing your lines and then making choices with them is the acting part, so... You have to know your lines. It's just second nature. You have to do that. Otherwise, you're not acting. Yeah, I'm too lazy to be an actor. I think that's the thing. But you don't want to memorize lines? Eh. It's not a work. A lot of reading. Yeah. I always talk about how I don't like to read. It's kind yeah. of a joke. I do read. But it's like my shtick is that I don't read. But I got to tell you, improvisation, when I watch an actress, act, I say actors for actress, actor. Yeah, yeah. But when I watch um, an actor um, do some great improvisation, so they're not doing nothing but going off the top of their head. Now, you want to talk a little bit about, um, you can stop me anytime because you're going to edit anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to edit this whole f- first part. Yeah. Edit, I'm just edit. kidding. No, no. no edit I'm not part. using anything that we've done. <laughs> no, but the, um, so I did another film, jump to years later. I did a, another film called Death to Smoochie. Mm-hmm. So you told me that you've written a couple of black comedies, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a black comedy. I don't know if you saw it. I've never actually seen it. It's a great, it, it's really, a, it's, it's, you would really like it. Okay. Um, you know what one of my favorite comedies is actually the weatherman oh you're kidding me loved it oh no kidding i actually used that as a model to write my first screenplay oh good for you Mm -hmm. that was a listen that was um that was a lot of fun we shot that in chicago but you like that one yeah i look i like characters that just try and try but they're just fuck-ups like they just can't get it right and I think because I relate, yeah. you know, but... Uh, <laughs> well, Nick Cage is great with that. I he, mean, he, he's great with doing that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm not necessarily the biggest Nicolas Cage fan. 
I just really loved the story. I loved the little bits of subtle comedy. I loved him getting hit with things. Yeah. And the weather guy, a weather guy, he's such a knob. You know, yeah. weathermen, they're like the worst. He's but they're trying. They're not bad knob. guys. No, no. You know what the thing is uh, with weather people? I always say, like, when there's a hurricane coming and it takes, like, four days for it to hit land and everybody's watching hurricane, or if there's one coming around here, bad storm or whatever, the weatherman is the one guy in that place that nobody talks to in the news place. But on that day, they all want to talk. Mm -hmm. And I think the weatherman is probably, he's got everybody going, oh my God, what? he's the most important guy. And then the weather passes. And then he's nobody, a nobody. I know, I know. The self-esteem is like, it's like the weather, like yeah. seasons. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. But the person who chooses to be a weather guy, it's like, I like being on camera, but I also love weather. Like, it's yeah. a strange combination. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. Because journalists, like, you know, a newscaster, you, you think, okay, well, they might really be interested in, in sharing news. You person know, who's interested in sharing the weather. It's a strange right, idea. Right. Yeah, well, news, news people will call themselves journalists. So, I mean, they're like serious, get the story right kind of people. Right. Yeah, weather, weather guys are different. Weather people are different. Yeah. yeah. But, like, the news guy, they're, they're still, they're like the weather guy undercover in a sense. Like, they... It's still like a little knobby, like the guy <laughs> in the news, <laughs> but he's just not as knobby. Uh, yeah. When I'm telling you, once that storm passes, nobody. I know gives a he's shit lonely. Well, I always wonder this about detectives and things. Are they waiting for murders? You know, what are they doing until and firemen? I talked to. Do you remember? I don't know if you know Jimmy Breslin. So Jimmy mm -hmm. Breslin was a famous, famous New York newspaper columnist. I mean, that classic gumshoe. Get the story, mm -hmm. climb to the, to the fifth floor to find the story. Uh, famous in New York. And when papers were the time, you know, the papers were the way everybody got their yeah, information. Yeah, of course, yeah. And he said, he told me, he said, listen, you're going to think I'm you know, sick, but I used to, I would I would be, you know, I'd watch the planes going, you know, landing at LaGuardia and like, you know. Hoping for a crash. Hoping for a crash. Yeah. He said, it, you know, it, he wasn't really hoping for a crash, but he wanted to be on the scene as a reporter doing that. So you needed something big to happen. He said, I wanted it to crash and uh, everybody was fine. Right. You know, kind of thing. Right. You know, he said, I'll make a story out of that. You know, he'll report the true story, but he was looking, you know, for those things. So. Um, it's interesting that, like you say, is a detective waiting for a murder? I mean, yeah. I don't know, but there, there can be something like that in the mind. And, and the murderer must be thinking, without me, buddy, you wouldn't have a job. So, you know, the <laughs> criminal. Yeah. So you need me, but you don't want me to exist, but you do want me to exist. Uh, right. Otherwise, exactly. you'd just be and home with your wife. that's the way you get, that's the way a detective or a reporter or a journalist or whatever, he used to call himself a reporter. Um, Jimmy did, but um, that's the way you get validation for what you're doing. So, I mean, that's a little, I don't know, that's kind of like playing a mind, like, I guess, you know, a murder detective, maybe it's like, I want to go home, I don't want there to be a murder, but I want that phone to ring because otherwise I'm not doing anything. I can, right, I can understand. Right, right, I'm that, getting that, bored that, here. That would be a character study. Because, I mean, I used to wait tables, and not that I like waitressing. Right. I, I would much rather never have someone walk through the door, but if they're not, then I got a fake busy work, yeah. like fake cutting lemons. And, and the, you get no tips in your pocket. Right, so yeah. I'm like, eh, I got the necessary evil is the customer. <laughs> so I guess the same as the murderer. <laughs> but listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back to some years later when you talked about scripted you know, things and everything, being on the spot in that moment. And I finally, The death to Smoochie thing? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go to death to Smoochie. But I finally finished, I finally did that, that um, you know, when I finished up with the two-pack thing. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. I was embarrassed. I'm like, that is so unprofessional because you asked before mm -hmm. about how many takes. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I was embarrassed. It was unprofessional. I was prepared, but I couldn't do it there because I allowed all this tension to get into me. So you try to do your best to deflect the tension to, in the room. You try to do your best to block out, you know, you, you, you play some sort of trick on yourself. So it's kind of like, you know, you just distance yourself from everybody else mm-hmm. in the room except the person you're talking to. And then, you know, it's their job to film you while you're getting it done. But it's hard when you're in that position and you're aware of everybody watching you. On the other hand, I did that to Smoochie. And Robin Williams, who we all knew was Mrs. Doubtfire and all these other, you know, great uh, roles that he played. But he that year he did that movie, Death to Smoochie, and another movie called One Hour Photo, which was kind of a I dark... I saw that. Yeah, it was kind of a... It he was, was strange. It was strange and he was a little dark. And this is a dark comedy. So it was kind of, you know, in the business, you know, people are going, oh, wait a minute, he's supposed to make me funny. He's supposed to make me laugh. He's supposed to make me fun. Make me funny. He's supposed <laughs> to make me laugh and enjoy and, and everything else. And here he's making, it's a little bit creepy, but his work was great. Yeah. You know? Well, I always felt like, and I know people have said this after he passed away, but uh, he always, to me, had a sadness under his eyes. No matter how funny he was, there yeah. was a dark layer to him. I almost feel that way with Jim Carrey. There's a little bit of a darkness. There's a little bit of a fucked upness or something. And um, and I think that's uh, why Robin Williams was so good. Because he didn't just seem like a clown. Well, you know, you, you know what? And, and here's the thing. And I believe you need to have that darkness yeah, in order do. to know where to let the light in. So if you have that... It's um, the deepest thing anyone's ever said on the show, by the way. Really? Yes. See how deep I am? <laughs> um, so I think it, if you know how dark it can get, then you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, and I'm going to find the light, and then boom, you'll put all this light right, on right. it. So it makes you feel... It, it, it gives you light for that moment. It gets you through that time. Unfortunately for some people, the darkness comes back, you know, like that. But you're able to... Um, you're able to... Um, uh, not compare it or, or whatever, but but you well, see, you need one to know the other. Exactly, yeah. and if you have a good sense of that, and I agree with you, you know, that you say that about Jim Carrey, you see, there's a little fucked upness there. I mean, a, a, a talented fucked upness. A you know, a, you know, that's what makes people see. But stars. that's that's what's so frustrating because there's the talented fucked upness and then there's just the fucked upness and only like 0.001% get the talented fucked upness. And it's like, ah, I want to be that. Like, I, I think I'm on the cusp maybe, maybe I'm not, but you know, to just be so gifted, I would accept the fucked upness, but I'm fucked up in a lot of ways without the gifts, without the, and I, one of my gifts is that I'm not going to call out the spill that just happened on I'm your pants. Call it <laughs> so what's great is that Kristen is allowing me to chew on a cookie and take a sip of coffee and she's filling the time. It's great. Well, they are and cookies I that it. I brought. No, they, I, they <laughs> I rudely did not bring the cookies. Um, but listen, so to go back to that, the dark and the light and, and that kind of thing. I, you know, when you say that maybe, you know, you want to have that, that fucked upness. No, you know? no, I would be okay with having the dark side if I had extreme talent. But I have... But you don't the, think you have extreme nah, talent? Maybe I have extreme lack of drive or uh, extreme lack of confidence. Yeah. But there's someone like Robin Williams who's just undeniably 
talented. He was a force of age. Right, and it's nicest like... Nicest guy. To, I mean, he was so nice and thought, oh, well, I'm going to see him forever, you know, after this, or I'll run into right, him again right. in another film. But he was as though he knew me, you know. I mean, when you're talking to him, and I didn't sound like I was sitting there bullshitting away with him because everybody's got their work to do, but he was, you know, he knew I was in the day. He told me how funny I was. I'm like, Robert Williams tell me how funny I am? You know, that's amazing. But the thing is that... Um, you don't know what's inside. You don't know what goes on behind somebody's door. You know, somebody goes into their house, and you don't know what happens once the door closes. Thank God. You know? yeah. Wouldn't that be? Ugh, that would be exhausting I to know what everyone's doing. <laughs> 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 Although I'm kind of voyeuristic. If I drive by a house and the windows open, you the lights it, on, you look. You make sure. Totally looking. Do you stop and take. Well, a look? I get out the binoculars. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I creep in a little close. Mm-hmm. I take my clothes off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I do like to kind of peek in. But it would be exhausting to know all everyone's problems. And I yeah. think um, I have no idea where I was going with that. I don't know what happened no, in my no, brain. No, no, but you were talking just, about, uh, listen, we're talking about lightness and dark and where to go in certain, certain places that people do go to and then try to avoid as well. And I think that, you know, I think that comedy was probably the way, you know, whatever it was, you know, you don't know what's in, listen, you don't know what's in people's minds. You, you have, you really have no, I've, I've got experience in my life of, of some, you know, like what that happened. Unbelievable. I couldn't. Like, no, no, no. Personal experience that's kind of like never knew, had no idea. Because uh, people do their best to hide it. And if you're in showbiz, you're hiding everything. Because in showbiz, an actor has to wear a mask, you know? Um, so, Especially so- the ugly ones. <laughs> Sorry. And I was like, don't say that no, joke. It's great. not funny. No, it's not funny. Don't say it. And then I say it. No, it's perfect. Okay. But the thing is that, you know, you had to wear a mask. I mean, back when the Greeks were doing the plays, that, you know, Euripides and all of them, it was like they literally came out and you had a mask in front of your face. Um, so if you want to be if you want to be an actor, you have to do that mask. Jim Carrey he, literally did a movie called The Mask. He did a movie called <laughs> The Mask, exactly. And everything that he would do, the way he was able to, you know, the way he is able to contort his face and give these impressions and these voices and everything else. I mean, the first time you saw him and he was like this huge, huge hit was Ace Ventura. You go, this guy's out of his mind, mm-hmm. but I love it. Mm-hmm. It's a complete mask. So once he gets down to, what is that, something, conf- not Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, or the um, Truman Show. Yeah, Once right. Once uh, he started playing closer to himself. Sun uh, of the Spotless Mind. Uh, right, that's it. That's, I think, Sunshine uh, of the Spotless so, Mind. So, yeah, like that. Sunshine of the Spotless but Mind. But then in, even in the Truman Show, once yeah. he starts playing closer to himself, you can see his struggle right. with where's my mask. And he was trying to do some of his Jim Carreyisms. Mm-hmm. I'm doing air mm-hmm. quotes here. And, um, and that in order to do that, because he's uncomfortable with it and then eventually listen he put in some you know the Truman Show he did a great job and and um Sunshine and Spotless Mind something like that he did you know oh he, wait wait why why am I not eternal, eternal sunshine, sunshine of the Spotless of Mind the spotless that's why okay it just didn't great. feel right he okay yeah. Right yeah, yeah quite the genius and um but but in those ones he's much closer to himself he's not playing a, a, a part he's playing like now he's like on this is closer to Jim Carrey and this is scary and you can tell that it's a little scarier for him it's a little more nerve-wracking yeah. for him and you know so you have the actors out there who do play themselves and we love to see it um as they say play themselves although everybody is playing a little something different but we're talking about only a couple of degrees yeah. this way yeah um and then you have the ones who put on that mask and they do great stuff and Johnny Depp will like to have all these different things going on. I mean, literally with Edward Scissorhands and everything right, else. Right, right, right. 
and like he did a whole a bunch of them, Sleepy Hollow, and you know he he puts on like some crazy stuff, and I think he does tremendous work when he's playing very close to himself. He does it great and professionally and everything, but I think even inside the actor says, "I'm not hiding as much as I mm-hmm. I'm used to hiding." Mm-hmm. So you play it safe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't ever pinpoint Johnny Depp's best performances as where he's Johnny Depp. It'd always be where he's yeah, he's something went, extreme, right? If pirate, a the the scissor pi- guy. I mean, he's brilliant as a pirate. Mm-hmm. He, he reinvented what pirates are because we all think it's the pirate from. Treasure Island, Wallace Beery, you know, arg, arg, arg. And they all did that. And I did him. I'll tell you this, because I did a film with Johnny. I saw it. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And you were awesome. And oh, by yeah. the way, if you ever want to restylize, like, your look, yeah, that that look that was so cool. Yes. Yeah, know, the kind of, like, 50s that. Cuban thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, when, uh, so in uh, doing that, he told me, you know, we're on the set for a long time. We shot in Puerto Rico. And... and um, and uh, he told me his story, which he's told other people. I think I've heard it elsewhere or I've read it. But he said that he, he was doing the first Pirates and they sent the dailies back to L.A. to the people at Disney. And they were getting worried that they're going, what's going on? What's he doing? Why the eyeshadow? That's not a pirate. And um, they were telling Gore Verbinski, who was directing it, what the hell is he doing? You, you know, that's not a pirate. You got to change that. And Johnny, who can be formidable, he is a formidable talent and a formidable, um, I say businessman, but like, don't tell me what to do kind of thing. So Gore, he told me Gore was like gently trying to get him, not to do the arg, 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 but maybe a little (laughs) more traditional, but he kind of wasn't coming straight out and he wasn't going to push Johnny and whatever else. He trusted him and he, you know, they each trusted each other, but the studio execs came down Mm. and they said, hey. Like no. the Bonds people, kind of yeah, scary. Yeah, except the yeah, but not quite the Bond people because this is Disney, so they're even like the Ultra Bond. Oh, uh, watch okay. out for Disney. Yeah, from cradle to grave. Jeez. But, um, but they uh, came down and they said, "Hey, you know, this is what you're doing. You got to do that." And he said, uh, "This is what I'm doing. If you don't like it, get rid of me." And wow. he just walked back. And they get to him. Wow. He's working on the set. Right. They're, they're holding up the thing. They thought they're going to tell him this. They couldn't. He's already filming it for a little bit. They went and did it, and then what happens afterwards? Makes four hundred million domestic. He went, gets an Oscar nomination, and then they're all like, "Johnny, Johnny." The I love satisfaction you. that yeah. that must bring, because even I get satisfied if like a guy speeds by me really fast and then stops at the same light that I do. It's like, yes, <laughs> sh- you know, I told you. So if I was at that level doing what Johnny Depp did, ah, oh, the satisfaction. But that's what I mean. So, so I'm going to talk about confidence here. Okay? Yeah. So you have Jan- you got. Um, Jim Carrey with that extreme confidence with a mask on. Yeah. Tremendous confidence because he knows what he's doing is funny and innovative and singular to himself. And it paid off. You know, it pays off. Right. So it's yeah. show business. Right. This much show. I'm holding up my fingers only two inches apart. And this much business. I'm holding up both hands about two feet. About the size of my head. <laughs> but, it, you know, show business. So the show is what every actor likes. The business is what sucks. Because it can really just, you know, it can really hit your self-confidence. It can hit your self-worth. It it affects all parts of your life when you go home. Oh, that didn't go well. And then not going to hire me or I didn't get that audition. And you can take it home and you can, like the old thing where you you get yelled at or whatever like that. You go home and you kick the dog. You know what I mean? Because of that. And that's how 
you know, it, it affects you uh, mentally, spiritually, and everything like that. And then physically with some people who then go and drink a bottle of vodka or they go and, you know, and, and binge on drugs. You know, I mean, it, it, all of those things are to help to self-medicate the loneliness. So I'm jumping around a lot, so you're going to do a lot of that. <laughs> okay, so, but I'm going to tell you I did a movie with Tommy Lee Jones years ago. Tommy Lee Jones is like the guy who you see on the movies, a very clip, professional, mm -hmm. you know, the way mm -hmm. he talks and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's a tremendous actor. Nobody messed with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. You had to have your stuff oh, down. Oh, scary. Your stuff ready, because he was ready to go. When he was ready to go, you, it was almost military-like discipline, and he was ready, and he was going. And if something wasn't right, he'd tell you something wasn't right. But very, very professional, and he was able to to do that because of who he was. So what comes first? It's a chicken and egg scenario to me. Yeah. What comes first, the confidence or that energy around you where people respect you? You know, I don't know if that even made sense. You know, I, I think I know. I know what you, you're talking yeah. about. So I keep. I've been using the word confidence, and so here's the thing: there was a time when De Niro first went on to a movie set when he was starting out, and he couldn't do 25 takes. And so De Niro's professionalism, and then his his uh, the execution of of his interesting choices, got him noticed. Right. right? Um, uh, and in there, he only had one, two, three takes because that's all there is. Because he's not important enough to hold up a film at that point. But once his technique was shown, or Al Pacino, you know, like that Meryl Streep, I mean, the so tremendous it, other actors. It really needs to be talent that gets you to the point where you can be really confident. Yes, you have to be confident in your talent. But you tell me you're not confident. I could tell you right now you're loaded with talent because I, <laughs> I know this is my business. Well, I am also sitting incredibly casually, which like a boss would sit at an interview and make the interviewee <laughs> well, uncomfortable. Well, then that's, but you know, I'm not uncomfortable. I find it to be completely natural. And honestly, you, but you, honestly, you, you, listen, you can't, you can't, um, you got to have the talent in you. I'm going to do a little league thing, okay? Because I used to be the little league president. I read that. I did research. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing was that um, if a kid knows how to play baseball, if a kid has the talent to play baseball, it's different. There's a lot of kids who, who play baseball and then there are baseball players. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference. So a kid wants to play with his friends, he wants to put on uniform, he wants to, but he can't quite, that ground ball is going to go through his legs. And there's the other kids who are like, that ground ball is not going through their legs. They have skills. Mm -hmm. You have to have baseball skills. And as you get older, it becomes more apparent. So some of the kids, they, they fall off. They taper they, off, yeah. They taper off. So the thing is, if you have baseball skills, then you, you are a baseball those. player. And you hone those. Right. So all those kids wanted to play. They had the uh, the drive to play. They all wanted to be up there. They all want to hit a home run in their dreams and, and everything. But after a while, they themselves learn that they, they just not can't hit the curveball. They can't hit that well. They're always going to drop the ball mm -hmm. most of the time. And somebody else is going to play that position. So they taper off. So what comes first? Well, you have to have the confidence or the blind stupidity that you're not that good yet yeah, yeah. to keep going. Yes. There was times where early on in my career, I'm going, wow, how did I get through that period of time? I was bartending <laughs> and bouncing and I was not working. I mean, how did I get through that? I was too stupid to quit. That's awesome. You know? That's really a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blessing if you keep going, unless you're too stupid for your whole life. Right. Yeah. Unless you're too stupid and untalented. But when you're too <laughs> stupid and talented, it works out great. Yeah. So with someone like you, 
I, I picture you almost like coming out of the womb as a successful actor. There are certain people that look like they really had to work for it, and you could tell that they hustled for all these auditions and uh, networked really hard because they were good at the business side and they weren't so talented. How did you, because you don't seem like the type who would hobnob in like the fancy elite showbiz circles you don't seem like the typical person who would hustle in Hollywood so how did you make it and I'm assuming obviously talent but then like what did you do socially wise of getting into socially challenged the segment I do okay so what did you do socially to climb in the okay, business so I'm gonna tell you besides this. sexual favors right well sexual <laughs> favors are a must but now that Harvey's gone right you know, right 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 um I met him one time, and he was a creep, just so you know. Well, I mean, with a face really like that, was. how can you not be a predator? Oh, my God. I met him one time, and he was a judgmental... I mean, I, I did a movie called Rounders, and he yeah. was... You know, it was a Miramax film, and uh, at the party and everything, and you kind of like, you know, I have a prominent part in the movie. And we're at the party, and I walk by, and he looks at me, and then he just kind of looks away, and I'm like, he just saw the movie. Yeah. He knows him in the yeah, movie, so and I said... I said, oh, Mr. Weinstein, uh, thanks for let me be in, you know, I mean, then I was in the film. I really enjoyed the film. He said, yeah, yeah. And that was it. Oh, an asshole. Now, if I had a pair of tits, and I don't mean to be an asshole about that, but I mean, he, you know, I don't think he, I think he immediately sized me up. Now, you want to talk oh, about yeah, totally. this? He immediately sized me up as a B or C actor. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to give you the time of day. No, there was nothing to give me the time of day. See, he wants to, he wants to size up a B or C sized breast yes. area. Again, going back to the T-I-T-S word yes. I just used and somebody's going to slam me for it. But I'm only saying that and the truth is that I could have been a B or C kind of actor in his, like level actor in his mind. But if I was an actress who was looking good, I think that, you know, it might have been a different reaction. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so anyways, so when you say socially, so I'm going to be honest with you, I've always been very social. My friends, you know, we cut up, we joke around, we do a lot of stuff. Let's try. But are they Hollywood types, actor types? No, no. I mean, I'm talking about the people I've I've grown up with and everything else. Um, You know, and I would be among the funny guys, you know, kind of thing, because I've done a lot of comedy in that way because it came from my personal social life. But in the business, and I'll tell you this right now, I've never found myself to be that kind of guy. I get nervous. I get nervous because I'm of this belief of. Let them see my work and let my talent speak for myself. Mm-hmm. But I always get wonderful respect because of that once they see me work and then once it's on the screen, they go, oh my God, they didn't realize it or maybe they realized that as it was being shot. He's professional, look how good he is and whatever else. But um, socially, it's like I want to rely on that because if I go to dinner and I say something stupid, <laughs> Then maybe they're gonna go. Oh, I don't like this guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a. So I don't schmooze well. I, I don't either. It really makes me uncomfortable in this mm-hmm. environment where I know, like, I can talk to you because you seem genuine and real. Sure. But the minute I, if you know there was someone from I don't know a comedian and yeah. like his agent was here, I would totally. Now why do you? Why does that happen to you? I think I have an inferiority complex. Right, so you feel smaller than that comedian because you have a comedian with an agency. You're assuming that they know more than you. Yeah. And they're more talented than you because maybe they're driving a Maserati. And that proves that they must be more talented because people want to see them. So I'm going to say this. I don't care if you drive a Maserati. I don't care what kind of house you live in. Good, because I only have a Jetta. Okay. (laughs) I was never brought up that way to judge people by their wealth or whatever, to respect 
integrity and to, to respect success is important uh, only insofar as your success doesn't, um, you know, step on the neck of other people. Yeah. Or your success doesn't make you an arrogant asshole. Yeah. You know, because you might have money. I never gave a shit about money. So consequently, I live a very nice life in the country in a small house with a big yard. You know, a kind of thing. But I am not in Beverly Hills. You know, I'm not in Hampton. Right. So how do you keep this up? Like, you're so removed. How do you stay involved? How do they remember your name? And obviously, it's talent and like you're good at your work. Well, listen, talent, listen, talent's great. I mean, I'll I'll hear from my manager all the time. Oh, I talked to somebody about you. And they go, oh, we love Michael. Oh, he's great. Oh, he's so great. I love him. Who else you got? So that is what ends up happening. You're around for a while. I'm, I'm, um, so I'm in. I'm an old dog, and I still feel I got new tricks. But in the business, they say, oh, we love him. He was great, and this, and this, and this, and this. What else you got? Because everybody's looking for the new thing. I know. It's really awful. So the thing is that, um, so I don't, what I've done is, in order to uh, protect myself from the rejection, which brings you into darker places and stuff, This is a business of rejection. When I go speak to acting schools and acting classes, you know, they ask me to come in and just talk about being a working class actor because that's what I am. Not a star, not a whatever. I'm a working class actor, but I've been around a lot and I could tell you how to live while you're trying to make it, you know, while you're trying to get there, what you need to do. So I share that with the kids and I always feel good about doing that. But I, I, but, you know, I tell them all, I say, don't buy into the fame bullshit and the, the Hollywood bullshit, because the Hollywood bullshit and the business is like, uh, what, who is it, Medea? Not Medea. Uh, who's the Greek? Uh, the one Medusa. With all, Medusa with all the snakes. You, know, you cut off one and two more grow. That's what Hollywood is. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not putting down Hollywood. It's a place to do business, and, it, and you know, it's glamour, and it's all that great stuff. And when I first started, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be in a... In a hot tub with like. So you, you did know, think that at the beginning. Well, when you're a kid, and I started. Okay. I was 17 when I started studying, and and I, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself 10 years, and I'll be in a hot tub, you know, <laughs> with all these girls and all this other kind of stuff. You know, I thought about that, but you don't know how where life takes you in the meantime. But I wanted to learn my craft, so I went and learned stage, and I went and learned all this other stuff. But the thing is, um, you what you learn, and what I tell these kids when I go and speak to them is that it is a business of rejection. You're going to learn your craft, know your craft. So the when the opportunity comes, sharpen your talent, know your get your toolbox sharp, because when the opportunity comes, you got to open up that toolbox and use the right tools to build the character that you need to get the job. But um, you have you know that part of it you have to learn. But the business part is going to reject you over and over again. Rejection starts immediately. That's why I'm almost jealous of kids who. Uh were given up for adoption because they're used to rejection right from the beginning. Not even your parents <laughs> want you. So so it's going to be really easy when a casting director doesn't. Yeah. Like, you know, they just start from the beginning. Yeah. You know. I'm jealous of that man. Well, <laughs> if only my parents made, made a better decision, uh-huh. I could be successful right now. Yeah. If you were rejected early <laughs> like that, you get used to it. But I have to tell you, so you learn to grow used to, you can develop a thick skin because you have to have a thick skin. So what I tell them, the students are is this. I tell them, collect as many rejections as you can. What I'm saying is, so me, even though I've done 
all these and I've been on hundreds of sets and I've done all this and I always get like, wow, that guy is, you know, he's great. Like great is thrown around a lot. But, um, but I don't have that A-list status. Not many people do. I don't have the B-list status. This podcast actually gets you to the A-list well, status. that's the only reason I'm doing <laughs> it, by the way. Um, but the thing is, um, so there, as much as I've been around, as long as I've been around and everything like that, I still step back because I'm still afraid somewhere inside that I will get rejected. And I'm not afraid I'm going to get rejected for my acting. If they want me, they want me. I'm typecast. We all know you have to be typecast to work. And then once you work, you try and, you know, open it up a little bit more and do other things. You know, so, I mean, I will go and get the job based on my appointment or my audition or my preparation, execution, and all this of my my acting choices and what have you. That I'm fully confident about. But um, if I have to socially, and I'm a social creature, I mean, I've got a lot of friends and we goof around and we, you know, we do lots of stuff and laugh very loudly with each other and stuff. <laughs> but if I don't know you and you're that producer um, and he and I'm afraid that maybe I'm going to say something wrong, even though in my regular, you know, my normal life, I, I don't say things wrong. But right. I'm afraid I might say something wrong there. You lose yourself. You, yeah, you do. And you actually become less likable. When you want I, everyone to like you. you. Yeah. As I'm getting a little bit older, I am losing uh, that need in terms of show business. But when I was 25, 24, 25, whatever, I was so afraid to say the wrong thing. I would go to parties and be mute because I didn't want, I didn't know it was hip. What was the cool opinion to have? And now I, I think I've been around the industry long enough and just learned that that is not going to be my route into anywhere is by hobnobbing and socializing. It's just going to be me doing my thing. And with that, I've become way more comfortable with who I am, what I have to say, my perspective on things. I don't agree with the popular opinion just to agree with it, to fit in. And I never did that before, but now I'm more, um, I'm more obvious about it or I'm more, I'm less apologetic for it. Well, can I say, and you know, we've just met, but um, you seem very confident, and once you put those the headset on, you have the microphone in your hand, you know what you're doing. Well, this here. is my Jim Carrey mask. Like yeah, when I podcast, I can do this. I know, but this is what I'm saying though. When it comes to the mask, I know you're making a joke, but which is very funny. But my thing is that these and this give you a persona that you feel okay. Well, with. right before we when we were just putting this together, I said I wear the headphones because it makes me feel professional. Yeah, exactly. I take these off. It's a different show. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's the and so I will say this, we're going but wait a fuck <laughs> to when I was talking about this takes and I'm professional, what have you. What I have realized is when it comes to any artist, okay, and I'm speaking for all artists now, and if you don't agree with me, go fuck yourself. Yes. If you're in a place where you're comfortable and I'm not talking about cozy, comfortable. Yeah. I'm talking, you still have There's, to challenge yourself. Yeah. But when you're in that place where you, you're comfortable to act or to paint or to dance, that you feel like, I know my stuff and I'm going to do it, that's when the great works of art come out. That's when you can do that. You might be the uncomfortable because you're cold. Because you're cold. You, maybe you're cold and you're hungry. It's like, I better paint this. And all of a sudden, you got fucking Van Gogh paints this thing right. out of desperation. And it happens... You know, I understand that, too, because sometimes that happens. You know, procrastination, you put it aside, you don't study for a test, you cram, you cram, you cram, and then you get an A, and you go, hey, cramming is the way to go. But I will tell you that preparation is the way to go almost Preparation all the time. H <laughs> is the way to go. Because that's how, yeah, it's like that. It feels like <laughs> yeah, it does. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that, my thing is that if you're prepared then if something goes wrong, then you can fucking flip. You know, nothing's better than a, 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 
you know, one of those happy accidents when you're acting. Something goes wrong, but you're fucking so prepared mm -hmm. that it comes out, and that's what ends up in the film or on the stage. That's what's remembered that night because yeah. you are so prepared. So here you are, comfortable in your with your headset and your microphone, and you're doing your show because you've done 94, 95 shows, and this is where you know you are. So this is where your creative peak is at because you are wearing a mask. And, Isn't it and, sad that podcasting is my creative peak, though? No, Isn't that why? a bad thing? No, why not? Why? It's a bad why? thing. I think back to how this all culminated and how this even has become a thing. In high school, I didn't have a group of friends. I didn't really belong anywhere, but there was a group of girls, and I wasn't part of their group, but they liked me. Every day, I'd go sit at their table at the end of lunch and tell them a story and make them laugh. And I really feel like that was the foreshadowing to me doing podcasting, because essentially I was podcasting to them in high school before podcasting was ever a thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's that's you see, that's what it is. That gave you an identity that you can believe in. And we all search for what it is that we can believe in. I get nervous on the set. I've done this so many times and everything, but I get nervous. I'm going to fuck it up. I get nervous and I'm not going to do it right. But there's sometimes there's some scripts that you get and you go, man, how am I going to make this work? You know, but your craft, your toolbox, you know, that you've sharpened the tools, you keep them sharp and clean, you know, you can pull them out and you can do it after you've done it for a while. But that comes with the confidence of doing it. Yeah. And here's another thing I'll tell you. You're prepared and you know what you're doing here and you come off extremely confident and easy going and everything. And then you say that maybe once you take these cans off and everything, you go somewhere, you're like, and not as much, right? So I am in, I think we're all this way. We all find places where we're confident in and then other places where we're not. Some people have relationship issues because, you know, the exchange between, you know, two human beings can be too much or whatever. But like my brothers, my sisters that I grow up, I have great confidence with them to the point where, you know, you can even argue about stuff. Nobody goes home mad at each other, but you can, you know, you can argue about stuff because, you know, I can say what I can say. And they're going to say what they're going to say. But I know that she still has my back. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, love those kind of relationships. Yeah, and though, and that's what it is. So anytime when it comes to like, you know, that's why I say when it comes to careers and everything, or when it comes to in this business, you know, the insecurity of not knowing when your next job is, because the actor is always out of work. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's the actor's plight or whatever, or just part of the job that you're unemployed until you're, find your next employment. Do you ever feel like you go through a depression until more work comes? Um, I won't say not a depression. I mean, I go, I mean, maybe we're using depression differently. We have different understandings of it, but I mean, you know, you get Like antsy. you dip down. Like do you ever dip down emotionally where you're like... Yeah, you dip. You definitely you dip. I don't so feel hopeful. But I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe that's my last job. I don't even know. You know, I don't know. Maybe they don't need me anymore. Maybe I'm obsolete. All those things go through your head, but then you go outside and you tend to your grapes. You know, or you go fishing and stop and you say, there's other stuff besides that in my life. That's important. You yes. Know? You have a loving family. You have the, it, that's why the worst idea to me in my mind is going back to LA, living alone without any family. Listen, I hope this like, podcast ugh. goes all over the world, especially in China. But, <laughs> you know, LA, I love LA when I'm working. I just have a New York energy because I'm from here. I'm an East Coast energy. And that's what I thrive on. That's what I need. My family's here. I've got great friends in L.A., but I don't miss L.A. when I'm not there working. When I'm working, I find it to be exciting and, and all this other stuff because I have a purpose to be there. 
But otherwise, um, it's just, it, I found it to be, I remember I went out there to do a show. I was doing a movie. And I had a bunch of friends who had moved out there many years ago. So I was going to hook up with them. But it's Tuesday. I worked on Monday and it's Tuesday. Let's go to dinner. And like, well, they're working because they live in real lives. Right. You know, they got to right. work till Friday. Right. Maybe we could see each other Saturday, you know. I'm like, Saturday? What right. the fuck am I going to do for the rest of the week? <laughs> right. You know, I have to work Wednesday and then uh, I'm free, you know. So, um, or I would be out there and in between my shooting days, my manager saying, you got an audition and such and such. I'd learn the stuff by myself in the apartment. I get in the car, driving by myself to the appointment. I get to the appointment, park the car in the garage, you know, uh, go upstairs. I see the, the assistant outside, Michael Rispoli, here for the appointment. And she'll say, oh, thanks. Hey, have a seat. They'll be right with you. I go in. I do my piece for 10 minutes. I come out. Goodbye. I'm back in my car by myself, driving right. back home by myself, sitting in my apartment by myself. I'm like, man, this is a lonely existence. Yeah, yeah. The couple times that I did road gigs as a comic, which I didn't do often, but I did a couple, uh, were really isolating. And I didn't realize that going into it. You know, you drive there, you fly there. You, they put you up in a place, you're alone, you're alone, you're alone. All of a sudden it's 7.30 or 8, you're around people, you make them laugh, and then you're home again alone. Alone. And then the next day you have all day again to be alone, alone, alone. And I, you know, I would be not wanting to socialize because what if I, you know, say something to the booker and he doesn't think it's funny and then he's not going, you know, so I'll yeah. stay away from the professional or the people until it's the evening right. time. And it was really difficult. So I was like, well, oh. you know, that's where people, you know, medicate themselves with drinking or drugs or sex. Yeah, you know? I get it. Yeah. You know, they're filling them. They'll fill themselves up that way, you know, in order to in order to fill in that time, you know, they will, you know, they'll do that because it's it's lonely when I was be I'd be away from my family when my kids were little and I'd be away and I'm in a, I'm in another city, and I'm going to a restaurant every night to eat kind of thing. But it ain't the same as if I'm there with my family. I'm, I'm I have to eat. Right. I'm in a restaurant. I'm in a thing, and I'm only there to work. So when you're working, you make the best of it on the set. And if there's the other actors that you happen to like, you know, buddy up with, you go, hey, let's go out this weekend. Well, you make the best of it, you know. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, it could be lonely. You know, it could be lonely that way. And that's when, when you're lonely, it's when your mind plays tricks on you. You're sitting there, and you're going, okay, what's next? Why am I here? What should I do? Maybe I should do this. You can build up resentments. You can, you know, go through fantasies. You can work stuff out. You can do all these other things. But when you're left to yourself. When you, if you're left to yourself, you know, um, it you can be healthy for you, or it could be, uh, it could be very unhealthy. Yeah, and I think with the saying yes to ever, or like doing all these fun things this summer is really to keep my mind busy, because I find that I don't have enough to occupy my mind, and then that's when I go like, you know, down down the. Well, you start thinking, you start doubting things. I start doubting everything. I feel like I don't even like the world doesn't even exist. I'm like just so alone and da 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 so doing all these things that i don't necessarily find like to be something i want as a hobby i'm really just doing to kill time because yeah. i'm trying to keep my brain healthy or keep my perspective right, healthy because, right exactly you want it and you want it to you want to keep yourself uh occupied with these things that are good things to keep yourself right occupied. right but then if you stop yourself from going on that boat because oh i gotta find a boat or what happens if the captain's an asshole you know, I, where are my friends? If I call my friends, what if they say no, they don't want to go on a boat, and you're an idiot for asking for a boat. I mean, you know, you can really you can really screw yourself I up know. if you think too much like that. I know, and that's how I do it. And I talked on the last episode, actually, about how I even got on a boat. But that's a whole, I won't repeat that story. But so 
I'm going to end the show with right. a, a segment thing that I do. And since you have the diction and the like the perfect voice to just be annoyed, like, you know, like, what the fuck with this fucking that kind of thing. I do. I do a segment called Sweat the Small Stuff, but it's something that annoys you that you just want to like get off your chest or it's like a lack of social etiquette that maybe people do or don't do or, you know there's a thing in the world that functions and it just annoys you the way it functions. So I'm supposed to like, it's like either rant or rave about it. Yeah. Just one thing that kind of makes you angry Oh God. or it annoys you. Well, listen, I mean, I know I come off like I'm, you know, no, but you're, you don't come off like you're like that, but you have the voice for it. No, I hear you. No, I hear you. I know. I was was trying to make a joke, but then I couldn't come up with it. No, I mean, uh, believe me, I get annoyed at a lot of things, but I'm trying and right now I'm trying to think, well, I'll go quick so you can think. Yeah. Uh, something that has never been addressed in society and it really needs fixing. And this is something that I would protest about. I don't get into politics. I don't get into uh, any social uh, things that matter. But the amount of salad dressing that comes with a to-go salad is always the ratios off. It's never enough it's dressing never for enough the salad. Dressing because Ever. the cups are only made a certain size. And the salad's eight feet long. And the salad is huge. And I agree with it's you. It's always the same size dressing. Listen, they only give you one of them right. too. So if you if you ask for an extra dressing, maybe they give it to you. They charge you for it, but you never. They know might if they, not. If it's an airport salad, they don't even have the extra dressing. It's in the to, to go box yes, already. Yes, it's already wrapped together. So you can't even yeah. get an extra yeah. one if you wanted one. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm with you on that one. It's very upsetting because if you put it on, there's nothing worse than like dumping that little plastic cup and there's and that's not it. enough. On right. There. Right, and you're you got about one fourth of the salad. You're like, look, look at all this dry lettuce. Well, I hate it's gonna that go to waste. situation. I know, and I can't believe that, that is, it's not. That is, and listen, I'm gonna tell you this. And let's talk about some airport things as well. When you go there, and then you buy like they they say like you get they go two for ten dollars or something, and there's like a Chex mix, you know, kind of thing, fiery hot something, and then like a trail mix. Whatever, and they're only this fucking big, and I'm like, oh, that's a because by themselves they're six ninety eight. Right, you get two for ten dollars, and you go, oh, I better pay fucking ten dollars for what's not even right. Worth. It's weird because you spend money, more money, to seem like you're saving money. It's a psychological game. Yeah, it's like popcorn when you go to the movie theater. This really gets me pissed off. Honestly, honest, honestly, no, no, you're telling. I'm telling you because I was at the movies the other day. I gotta eat popcorn when I'm at the movies. They of give course. you. They give you. 30 cents worth of popcorn, air popped in the thing, for $15. I know. Right, for the big one. And it's the same with the soda, right? It's it's like, how much syrup is that? You know, for a large soda, it's 30 cents worth of syrup, and you're paying a $10 for it. I have a thing that I do. My brother and I go to the movies a lot together. Are you, and you smuggling food? We smuggle. No, we, sm- we snuggle. Oh, you Just snuggle? together. No, oh, no okay. I thought that's what you were going to say, and you snuggle. No, uh, we're not that cheap. My dad is now, though. He used to not be... But now he has like no money, so he's so we go to the Dollar General before yeah yeah before the Grab movie. Some candy, put it in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. But when my brother and I go to the movies, we always say to the people uh, at the ca- at the register, which obviously they're teenagers, they have no say in this business at all. But they'll say like, "Okay, that'll be eighteen fifty and we both yeah. go, "How do you sleep at night?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we take our stuff and go. But it's like almost like a thing that we have to do to feel like, all right, well, all right. we spent it. At least we made a point of letting them know all right so i'm gonna say this too parking in new york city right so just got my first ticket did you Mm -hmm. very big moment for me okay (laughs) 
So this is the thing. You don't want to get a ticket because if you get a ticket and then you can get towed, right? So you don't want to get towed because that's a big pain in the ass. Huge. But parking in the garage in the city. So I have my apartment in the city. But I, if I have to go down there um, just for an appointment, like I had to go do ADR, additional dialogue recording for the show I was doing. So I'm like, you know for what? For the deuce? Yes, for the deuce, yeah. So I wasn't going to go in the night before and stay. I'm like, you know what? I can drive in. It's on the west side. I'll just park. I'll do it, and I'll leave. It's five minutes of additional dialogue recording. So usually if I got to do something in the city the next day, I go down the night before, and I'll stay at the apartment. Like, I got to go down tomorrow because I'm going to be workshopping a play till Sunday. You know, we start on Tuesday. So I'll go down on Monday You night. stay all week? Yeah, because I wake up on Monday. I wake up on Tuesday, go to... You know, go to rehearsal all week. And, you know, so that's what it is when I'll stay down there. But um, so I'm like, I'm going to just go down there. I go down there. I'm, I need to park. So you park in a parking garage because you can't find it on the street. I'm back. I'm in and out of my ADR in five minutes. I'm back there. I was there less than a half an hour. It cost me $55. Oh, my God. At this one place, right? I said $55. Usually if you're back in a half an hour, it's like $25. Yeah. Um, Which still even shouldn't even be good, but the, it is. But, but for the convenience of not having to do everything else, yeah. you know, I don't care, you know, because it's part of doing business. Right. But usually that's in like Midtown and stuff. If you're there, you know, they get you. If you're back in a half an hour, it's twenty dollars. If you're there over an hour, it's forty-five or something, you know. But you're in Midtown, you know. But this is I'm downtown, and I'm like fifty-five dollars. Look at I'm, it's like twenty-eight minutes on this ticket. Fifty-five dollars is, you know, is what I go. That is a fucking racket. Man. Yeah, that is an unfair. Ra- and I'm looking around like, why is this such a popular area? <laughs> well, they're the only parking spot area in the whole oh, like yeah, they, area. They know there. their worth. Yeah, exactly. That's the equivalent of taking forty takes because they they yes, know they can. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. right. They know they can. So, but yeah, well, you were just saying that. But that's that's what happens when there's not enough salad dressing. Yeah, you know. And that and the cup there, because then it makes me think of all the other things. You right, get right. Off That's why I said I'll go first, because all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's all this shit that makes me angry. Well, you know it's something too, like when you get those sandwiches, if you buy those sandwiches, you know, so and some maybe it's the, the airport, but you know, uh, if you buy a sandwich and uh, I don't know, turkey and cheese, ham, roast beef, and American, whatever, and they have like a thing of Golden's mustard, a little packet of Golden's mustard, a little packet of Hellman's mayonnaise wrapped in it. Mm-hmm. So that's all you get. Yes. And usually it is way more It's bread like a dictatorship of condiments. <laughs> <laughs> I want choices. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they only, they're only going to give you that. It's, you know, it's, it's like, that's a dictator. It's a communist. Yeah. Rule. This is what you get. Right, right. I need more options with the sauce. I actually, in my car, have in the center console a whole plethora of sauces. Mm. I eat a lot of a lot of fast food or a lot of to-go stuff, so I've got ketchup in there. I've got hot sauce. I've got, uh, I have had mustard, but right. I'm out of mustard. I've yeah. got salt. I've got pepper. People Parmesan cheese. the way they used to. You got Parmesan cheese? Yeah, pizza, too? you know, for in case oh, I get a slice of pizza, needs a little parm. napkins, right? Napkins, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got napkins stuffed into my, you know, in my uh, the console thing and into the glove compartment and stuff yeah no and that's a necessity and that's another thing you know when you're acting when you're starting out honestly you're robbing everything you go in there and they got packages nobody's looking you're taking that mayonnaise you know, or you're taking extra napkins. Well, and- today on my way down here, I stopped at Burger King. And I, I didn't know if I really needed the ketchup, but I was thinking in terms of my, my uh, collection. Of collection. She said, do you want ketchup? I said, I said, yeah, I'll take a bunch. Yeah. I didn't use it at all for my burger or fries today, but I have a 
very large collection of and ketchup. And now you have to go. it for when you need it. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. There's a lot of flavorless food out there. So I never yeah. know when I'm going to have to spice it up. And why'd you go to Burger King? Because that was the only place I, I was, I didn't realize how like desolate this area actually would yeah, be. Because yeah. I said, do you want a coffee? I figured there'd be a Starbucks nearby. I'd come yeah. grab you a coffee before I got over here. Um, and so as I was getting closer, I'm going, oh, geez, I don't have many options. Yeah, yeah. And so I saw a sign. It was like Subway, Burger King, exit. So, you know. One of those over there. I was going to yeah. say, you got to know where they are. There's the Burger King. There's a McDonald's near there. I'm a McDonald's aficionado. Oh, I you? prefer McDonald's, but I didn't yeah. have the option. But I felt right at home. I was like, there's a Walmart. Oh, yeah. There's a oh, big, there's big a lots. Big, yep. Listen, um, I really enjoyed this. I'm glad. Me too. Uh, you're good? Well, I mean, Absolutely, uh, yeah. You yeah, said yeah. you were ending the segment with that, so I assumed that yes. we were ending. But. So we'll end. Okay. And I, this, this is the overanalyzer in me and the uh, Woody Allen in me, but I don't like to say, would you like to promote anything? Because, you know, it's not The Tonight Show. You know, that's not going to make a difference. Yeah, okay. But, you know. Do you want anyone to check out anything in particular? I was asked comics, you know, they can follow them on Twitter, but you're not like a social media guy no, kind of thing. Do, I don't do the You don't need media. the plugs. No, but I mean, uh, The Deuce on HBO, we're doing, it's the third season. We just finished shooting. It'll be on September. I believe it's September 9th. I think it's a Monday they're moving it to. It's the last season. It was always meant to be a three-season show. Oh, it was? I'm on season one. Oh, you are? Okay. I. You're so good. Oh, thank you. And it's absurd, like yeah. how, you know how good you are and of course i don't i'm not going to comment on no no that's and what's his name because i of course have a huge crush on him who james yeah yeah and maggie gyllenhaal is great and james is great and the girls are great i say the girls you know the all the actors they are great great. yeah but you know you watch it and you go are these prostitutes are they real prostitutes no those are actresses and they are putting it they are they made me want to play a prostitute yeah they really did i was like oh god i wish i could be yeah, no, you know? I mean, they're great. They're, they're ballsy. They're like, they make these great choices. They do it all, and they're so talented, and it's great. So the ensemble of the show is great, which has been fun. The first year is 1970, um, 71. It jumps to 77, 78 in the second season, and the last season is 84, 85. Oh, good. So we're getting all the good styles. Yeah, there's all the different styles and the different things that are happening. And we just shot, we just finished shooting this season, and it is, um, it'll come on in September, and uh, I think it's going to be a great season. So, yes, watch uh, okay, The cool. Deuce on HBO. Yes, well, they're going to get 5,000 new listeners okay. because of my show. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And if they don't, I'll come kill you all. <laughs> um, okay, well, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, and my uh, pleasure. if you guys want to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash Kristen and chill and rate the show five stars on iTunes, five stars only. No other number exists except five in the rating system for my show. And uh, remember, stay bored enough to listen, but not too bored. Bye, guys. Now, if you don't agree with me, go fuck yourself. Yes. <laughs>